Last Friday, a federal judge in Texas made a ruling on a big case. So we got this really kind of blockbuster ruling out of Texas, and a federal judge there, uh, in essence, suspended the FDA's approval of what we're colloquially calling the abortion pill, a pill used in more than half of abortions in the United States. That's our colleague Laura Cusisto, who's been following the potential ban of the drug in question, mifepristone. How far-reaching would this ban be? So the FDA would pull the drug from the market nationwide. And so that would affect every state in the, in the country. Even those where abortion remains legal? Yes, I think that is what is particularly important to understand about this case. This is not something that is isolated to states with Republican legislatures and Republican governors. This is something that affects New York and California um, and states around the country. And is this ruling the final ruling in this matter? No, absolutely not. This is the really kind of the opening salvo in what is likely to be a fast-moving, fascinating, high-stakes legal battle. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, April 10th. Coming up on the show, the high-stakes battle over abortion pills. This episode is brought to you by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So create all the stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos you need with Canva. Start with one of the designer-made templates or jump ahead with the power of AI. It's a real time saver and anybody can use it. Whatever department you work in, whatever you need, Canva will help you get it done and make it look fantastic. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Mifepristone is the drug at the center of this case, and it's made by a company named Danco. It's the first of two drugs taken together for a medication abortion. The way it works is it blocks progesterone, a hormone that's needed to maintain a pregnancy. These drugs are only available to women earlier in pregnancy. So in essentially the first trimester of of pregnancy, we see something like more than 90% of abortions happen in those earlier weeks of pregnancy. This is not for kind of later term abortions. This drug has been proven sort of very, very popular. We've seen data saying, you know, more than 50% of abortions, and we think that number is probably higher now. So it's one drug in a two-drug regimen. Without it, is medication abortion still a possibility? Yes. So without it, women could potentially just take the second drug, misoprostol. But that drug sort of statistically is somewhat less effective than taking the two drugs together. And it also has stronger side effects, stronger cramping and that sort of thing. And so when I've talked to abortion providers, they've said, you know, we see this potentially presenting obstacles to women who, for example, may want to take the pills and then get on a plane immediately and travel back home. Women who are trying to hopefully not have to take time off of work. And so it's certainly going to present sort of new challenges. So the FDA approved this drug for use 20 years ago in the final days of the Clinton administration, and its use has kind of grown since then. And so, yeah, this is a drug that I think for 
many people has just been sort of an accepted part of the sort of options um, if you were seeking an abortion for the last two decades. Mifepristone has been in use for two decades. And over the years, Laura says the FDA has fielded concerns about it. But this is the first time the drug has had a major challenge in court. Tell us about this case in Texas. So the plaintiffs who were anti-abortion medical associations and some individual um, physicians, they sued the FDA in November. And essentially what they said in their lawsuit is that the FDA improperly approved this drug 20 years ago and that some of the changes it's made since are also not proper. How so? What do they mean that when they say it was improperly approved? So there are a couple of core arguments that they made. The first of them is that the FDA approved it way back in 2000 under this approval process. It was a process that was used primarily for HIV drugs, um, some cancer drugs. So it was really sort of a process that was used to treat really kind of serious life-threatening illnesses. But, you know, is pregnancy really a serious life-threatening illness? Would colloquially most people describe pregnancy as an illness? Maybe not. That's their argument. And so that's sort of the first piece of their argument, that this was like an inappropriate pathway for them to have chosen. And the second piece of this, and perhaps the thing that's a little less technical and easier for all of us to understand, is an argument that the FDA has underplayed the potential side effects of the drug, that they have ignored evidence that the drug might have severe side effects, may be unsafe, um, and that they need to go back and study those more closely. And what was the FDA's defense? So their argument is, first of all, the drug is safe. We've seen the drug used for 20 years. If we were seeing women suffering a wave of terrible side effects, we would know that by now. And countless studies have shown that the drug is safe. Um, I mean, broadly, the FDA has a tremendous amount of discretion in these matters, that the FDA has a team of scientists who spent months examining this pill, going through a rigorous approval process, and the idea that a single judge in Texas who is not a scientist, you know, however intelligent or careful he may be, but who is not a scientist, would second-guess the judgment of a team of government scientists, they argue, is simply inappropriate. Okay, so who's the judge who's hearing this case? So Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, he was appointed by Trump in 2019. We do know something of his background, that he is quite a conservative judge before being appointed to the federal bench. He worked as a lawyer for a conservative legal institute that litigated around religious issues. What happened during the hearing? My sense is that, you know, he asked a number of very careful questions of parties from both sides. This was not a judge, at least sort of from what we saw from the hearing, who was looking to rubber stamp the plaintiff's lawsuit. He questioned them pretty stringently on this question about, has a judge ever ordered the FDA to withdraw a drug from the market? He asked a lot of questions about side effects. You know, it was a long hearing and and one in which he seemed to really be wrestling with the issues in this case. And then last Friday, he ruled. What was the ruling? I would say the, the crucial takeaway, right, is that he is saying that in his reading, the FDA improperly approved this drug in 2000, and he is going to suspend that approval. How unusual is that for a judge to suspend the approval of a drug that's been on the market for so long. 
I mean, we can't point to any real analogous example. And I shouldn't just say we. I mean, he asked the plaintiffs about this during the hearing, and the attorney for the plaintiffs couldn't point to one. It seems to be highly, highly unusual. Now, what the plaintiff's attorney said is this was also a highly unusual, egregious decision that called for this kind of action. But certainly this is something that is somewhat unprecedented in terms of how judges have dealt with the FDA. It is really basically unheard of for a judge to pull a drug from a market after this many years. So let's talk about the reaction to this decision, starting with the company that makes Mifepristone. Yeah, I mean, Danko has said that this is just an egregious and outrageous ruling, um, that this will hurt women, that this has no basis in the law or the facts about how safe this pill is. What has the FDA said about this ruling? Very similar. Um, The FDA has said that this ruling has really kind of no basis in law. Um, They've challenged the ruling. They've appealed the ruling. The Biden administration has appealed the ruling to the Fifth Circuit, um, and they're asking for a stay. A stay would mean mifepristone would remain on the market while litigation continues. But this Texas judge wasn't the only one ruling on abortion pills last week. So, the, so, so <laughs> shortly after the judge issued this ruling on Friday, I got another ruling in my inbox. Um, busy Friday for Laura yes, and all legal Friday. reporters in the country. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a little bit of a curveball. That ruling is coming up. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Walmart. Walmart is committed to helping associates live better. As one of the first companies to remove college degree requirements from the majority of their roles, Walmart is creating opportunities for associates to build careers based on their real-life experiences. In fact, the company is investing over $1 billion in career-driven training and development programs. Learn why it pays to work at Walmart at walmart.com slash skills first. While the Texas judge was deciding on the Mifepristone case, another federal judge, this one in Washington state, was considering a different case on the same drug. In this case, Democratic attorneys general from 17 states in D.C. were arguing that the FDA had put too many restrictions on Mifepristone. And on Friday, after the Texas decision, the Washington judge issued a different ruling. And what we got on Friday was this ruling saying the FDA can't do anything at the moment to to further restrict this drug, to make this drug less available. And so that would appear to directly conflict with what the judge in Texas is potentially telling the FDA to do, which is to 
pull this drug from the market, not allow it to be sold. So I should say the Washington estate ruling only applies in the states that were parties to the lawsuit. How would states work it out between the two decisions? We have two rulings that directly conflict. Um, Generally speaking, I think the courts will take a look at that and say, this is just intolerable. Um, And so then I think the most likely outcome there is that if this doesn't get resolved in some other way in the lower courts, this will go up very quickly up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will attempt to resolve that to make sure that we don't have this conflict nationwide. And sort of looking at the Texas case, could there be any repercussions on the FDA drug approval process based on that decision? So, yes. I mean, this is certainly something that former FDA attorneys that we've spoken with are very concerned about. They believe that this could sort of set a precedent for a new level of court intervention um, in the FDA drug approval process. They are concerned in particular with the fact that this drug has been on the market for 20 years. That is something that, you know, I think that at that point, most people kind of come to rely on that drug. It becomes kind of a part of the fabric of American life. It's something that we sort of don't expect to see suddenly pulled off the market, especially a drug like this that's been very widely used. The Alliance Defending Freedom, which is spearheading the abortion pill lawsuit in Texas, has argued that the case would have little impact on other drug approvals. A lawyer for the group said the FDA's approval of Mifepristone, quote, egregiously and flagrantly violated the law. Today, more than 400 leaders in the pharmaceutical industry put out a letter calling for the Texas decision to be reversed. They say it, quote, ignores decades of scientific evidence and legal precedent. So if the result of these legal challenges is that the courts decide that mifepristone has to be taken off the market, what would that mean for patients? I think certainly on a practical level, it means patients will have a couple of choices. One is that they can go to a clinic or to a doctor and take the second drug in the regime, contend with the more severe side effects, contend with the fact that it may be less effective. I think another possibility that you're likely to see is you've seen a huge increase already in the number of women who are ordering abortion pills online on the black market without going to see a doctor. That has obviously its own concerns. And I think in particular, you're going to see a bigger impact in more rural areas. Typically speaking, more urban areas have clinics. They have better staffed clinics. They're more likely to have a clinic. Um, It's certainly much easier for someone who wants to go in person and get a procedure. And we've seen in particular that the pill has been used in more kind of rural clinics. But I mean, I would finally say on a less practical level, a takeaway is just that this, I think, is likely to increase the confusion that patients are experiencing. Um, Since June, since last June, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, we have seen this just constantly shifting legal landscape. We see states ban abortion, and then courts suspend those bans. We see states pass new legislation banning abortion. 
We see regulations constantly shifting. And so I think this will just play into that picture of confusion, of patients not understanding. What does this mean? Does this mean the pill is banned permanently? Does it mean it's banned in my state? In particular, yeah, I think in a state like New York or California, where things have been quite stable, I think it'll also bring home to patients um, that this battle is a nationwide battle. It's not just a battle that's happening in Texas or Louisiana. It's also a battle that's happening in these more liberal-leaning states. That's all for today, Monday, April 10th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Liz Esley White. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.